0: Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface.
1: Well, good morning, Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us today. Over the last few weeks, we have put a lot of emphasis on looking at stress and anxiety, childhood adversive events, PTSD, anxiety in children, anxiety in children with and adults with autism, ADHD, and work with what our guests. In the past, Nancy Goodell and Ann Garrett would call frazzled kids. For the last 25 years, I've worked as an educational and developmental psychologist. Much of my work was around children in public school settings as a school psychologist. School psychologists see students in the community and school settings when they are at their most level of need. Today, I'm really happy to have on the show... Dr. Pedro Overa, educational psychologist and professor and current president of the California Association of School Psychologists. Well, we will talk with Dr. Oliver, or excuse me, Dr. Overa, after I give you a little information on mental health and how it affects our kids and our student population in in California. So, <clears throat> sit back, get your coffee, and please do enjoy the show this morning. So so what is mental health? Well, mental health is a level of psychological well-being or an absence of mental illness. It is a psychological state of someone who is functioning at a satisfactory level of emotional and behavioral adjustment. From the perspective of positive psychology or holism, mental health may include an individual's ability to enjoy life and create a balance between life activities And efforts to achieve psychological resilience. According to the World Health Organization, mental health includes subjective well being, perceived self efficacy, autonomy, competence, intergenerational dependence, self actualization of one's intellectual and emotional potential, amongst others. Mental health, according to, and mental illness, according to the United States Surgeon General, mental health is a successful, performance of mental function, resulting in productive activities, fulfilling relationships with other people, and providing the ability to adapt to change and cope with adversity. The term mental illness refers collectively to all the diagnosable mental disorders, health conditions characterized by alterations in thinking, mood, or behavior associated with distress or impaired functioning. So mental illness can be called a lot of things. and Over the years, the names have changed, and currently, we look at people that are struggling with mental health may experience this because of stress, loneliness, depression, anxiety, relationship problems, death of a loved one, suicidal thoughts, or what we call suicidal ideation, grief, addiction, ADHD various mood disorders or other mental illnesses of varying degree, as well as learning disabilities, we need to mute our phone. Therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, or other physicians can help manage mental illnesses with treatments such as therapy, counseling, or medication. Listeners, I don't know if you're getting some feedback or not, but we may have um, a little bit of technical difficulty. We need to make sure that, Uh, Any guests that we have on this morning have their phones muted. Okay, so a person struggling with mental health may be dealing with all of those issues. Therapists may help, psychiatrists may help, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners or physicians can help manage mental illness with treatments such as therapy, counseling or medication. So like what's the history of this? Because for many years, mental health was not seen as something that uh, professionals wanted to dive into. Uh, in fact, it was seen as something to really to stay away from and not associate yourself with. So what is the history? Well, in the mid-19th century, William Sweetzer was the first to coin the term mental hygiene, which could be seen as a precursor to the contemporary approaches to work on promoting positive mental health. Isaac Ray, one of the founders and the fourth president of the American Psychiatric Association, further defined mental hygiene as an art of preserving the mind against all incidents and influences calculated to deteriorate its qualities, impair its energies, or derange its movements. So this idea of mental hygiene was the first time that we looked at, is there a way to adjust and assist people that are deteriorating in some way. Dorothea Dix, who lived between 1802 and 1887, was a really important figure in the development of mental the mental hygiene movement. Dix was a school teacher who endeavored throughout her life to help people with mental disorders and to bring to light the deplorable conditions into which they were put. This was known as the mental hygiene movement. So, you know, she was a teacher, and she saw her kids struggling, parents of her students being unable to support their children's needs because of various reasons. So she started to put things into place in order to assist um, those kids and their families. At the beginning of the 20th century, Clifford Beers founded the Mental Health, Amer- founded Men- the Mental Health America National Committee for mental hygiene after publication of his accounts from lived experiences in lunatic asylums. Now, again, here's an, an, an old name. Before I, I mentioned deranged in its movement, so deranged was an old term. Now we're looking at lunatic asylums, again, an old term. A, a mine that found itself in 1908, it opened the first outpatient mental health clinic in the United States, so just about 100 years ago. The first mental health clinic was opened. The mental hygiene movement, related to social, hy- related to the social hygiene movement, had at times been associated with advocating eugenics and sterilization of those considered too mentally deficient to be assisted into the productive work and con- and a contented family. So it, it shows you how things would change. The idea then was okay. A hundred years ago, if we can remove people with mental illness from, in a sense, from existence, then we no longer will have them in the population, and thus nobody will suffer any longer. It's a way of looking at it, but it unfortunately did not lead to a lot of treatment. In fact, it led to marginalization of individuals with mental health issues. So in the post-World War II years, references to mental hygiene were gradually replaced by the term mental health due to its positive aspect that evolves from the treatment of illnesses to the preventive or the promotive areas of healthcare. So we moved away from talking about treatment to more of preventative and though of course treatment was still at play. Maintaining good mental health is crucial to living a long and healthy life. Good mental health can enhance one's life, while poor mental health can prevent someone from living an enriching life. So what is it meant by mental well-being? Mental health can be seen as an unstable continuum where an individual's mental health may have in many different, may have different, many different possible values. Mental wellness is generally viewed as a positive attribute, even if the person does not have any diagnosed mental health condition. This definition of mental health highlights emotional well-being and the capacity to live a full and creative life and the flexibility to deal with life's inevitable challenges. Nobody believes that we can live in a world without inevitable challenges. What we've talked about in past weeks is the idea of what builds the resiliency in children and, and in adults to be able to live and work through mental health challenges and those unexpected, inevitable challenges that come up. Some discussions are formulated in terms of the contentment or, or, or in happiness. Many therapeutic systems and self-help books offer methods and philosophies espousing strategies and techniques vaunted as effective for further improving the mental, well, for further improving mental wellness. Positive psychology is increasingly prominent in mental health. What can you look at in your life that is focused on production and progress and what you have done rather than on what you have been unable to do? A holistic model of mental health generally includes concepts based upon everything from anthropology to educational, to psychological, to religious and sociological perspectives, excuse me, as well as theoretical perspectives from personality, social, clinical health and developmental psychology. For example, of a well, an example of a wellness model includes one developed by Myers, Sweeney and Whitmer. Now, again, we remember that leitner Whipner was a, one of the first school psychologists. It includes five life tasks, the essence of spirituality, work and leisure, friendship, love, and self-direction, and 12 subtasks, a sense of self-worth, a sense of control, realistic beliefs in oneself and others, emotional awareness and coping, problem-solving, creativity, and a sense of humor, nutrition, exercise, self-care, stress management, gender identity, and cultural identity, which are identified as characteristics of healthy functioning and a major component of wellness. The components provide a means of responding to the circumstances of life in a manner that promotes healthy functioning. So, what can we do to assist individuals to have good mental health, and to assist those who are struggling already with mental health challenges. Mental health and stability is a very important factor in a person's everyday life. Social skills, behavioral skills, and someone's way of thinking are just some of the things that that the human brain develops at an early age. Learning how to interact with others and how to focus on certain subjects are essential lessons to learn from the time we can, from the time we can talk all the way to when we are so old that we can barely walk. However, there are some people out there who have difficulty with these kinds of skills and behaving like an average person. This is most likely the cause of having mental illness. A mental illness is a wide range of conditions that affect a person's mood, thinking, and behavior. About 26% of people in the United States, ages 18 and older, have been diagnosed with some kind of mental disorder. However, not much is said about children with mental illnesses, even though there are many that will develop one even as early as, as age three. The most common mental illnesses in children include but are not limited to ADHD autism, anxiety disorders, all of which we've been talking about on the show, as well as depression in older children and teens. Having mental illness at a younger age is much different from having one in your 30s. Children's brains are still developing and will continue to develop until around age 25. When a mental illness is thrown into the mix, it becomes significantly harder for a child to acquire the necessary skills and habits that people use throughout the day. For example, behavioral skills don't develop as fast as motor or sensory skills do. So when a child has an anxiety disorder, they begin to lack the proper social interaction and associate many ordinary things with intense fear. This can be scary for the child because they don't necessarily understand why they act and think the way they do. Many researchers say that parents should keep an eye on their child if they have any reason to believe that something is slightly off. If the children are evaluated earlier, early, earlier they become more acquainted to their disorder and treating it becomes part of their daily routine. This is opposed to adults who might not recover as quickly because it's more difficult for them to adapt. Mental illness affects not only the person themselves, but the people around them. Friends and family also play an important role in the child's mental health and stability and treatment. So what, what can be done in regards to prevention? Mental health is conventionally defined as a hybrid of the absence of a mental disorder and the presence of well-being. Focus is increasingly on preventing mental illness disorders. Prevention is beginning to appear in mental health strategies, including the uh, World Health Organization's report on prevention of mental health disorders, the EU's uh, impact on for mental health, or their pact for mental health, and the 2011 U.S. National Prevention Strategy. Prevention of disorder at a young age may significantly decrease the chances that the child will suffer from disorder later in life and shall be the most efficient and effective measures for a public health perspective. Thus, this is where the school psychologist comes into play because it's so important that they help from an early age, either in the prevention or in the treatment of mental health problems with kids. Mental health is can be seen differently in different cultural and religious organizations mental health is socially constructed and socially defined is a socially defined concept that is different societies and groups and cultures institutions and professions have very different ways of conceptualizing its nature and causes determining what it's mentally what is mentally healthy and deciding what interventions if any are appropriate thus different professionals will have different cultural class, political, and religious backgrounds, which will impact the methodology applied during treatment. Many health professionals are beginning to or already understand the importance of competency in religious diversity and in spirituality. The American Psychological Association, I'm so sorry, the American Psychological Association explicitly states that religion must be respected Education in spiritual and religious matters are also required by the American uh, Psychological or Psychiatric Association. In order to improve your emotional mental health, the root of the issue must be resolved. We have to look at a positive sense of self-esteem, mastery, and well-being in social inclusion. So we're going to take a little break. And when we return from the break, I'm going to continue doing a little bit of a Discussion and then uh, I'll be happy to bring Dr. Olvera Al- on board. So go get yourself a cup of coffee. We'll see you in a couple minutes.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune in to Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org.
2: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You're listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, living the challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Sean Surface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well,
1: welcome back, listeners, and thank you for joining us this morning. And we're talking this morning about mental health and some of the things that we can do to help kids and and, and adults to live through their mental health challenges. Um, so what I was talking about before the break was just like some of the effects that mental health can have on an individual. So you know, what are some of the treatments? You know, in the past we had older treatments. Uh, And I'm going to discuss some of them because some of them are quite a trip. The trepanation. Trepanation is a procedure used for headaches and epilepsy and insanity. And it's where the – it was really started in the Stone Age. It's a surgical process where they would knock holes in the skull in order to let out any bad uh, 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 beings that might be in there any properties that could possibly uh, interfere with the individual and it was highly believed that something needed to happen with the release of some type of essence that was in the individual that was causing them to be this way even later in the 20th century a practice called lobotomy came into play where they would literally do a surgery on the frontal lobe. And a psychiatrist by the name of Walter Freeman believed that it was an overload of emotions that led to mental illness and that cutting certain nerves in the brain would limit that overload. So, one of the things that Walter Freeman did was he went from institution to institution trying to relieve the institutions you know they didn't have any medications they really didn't have treatments that were working to relieve any mental illness it was just really a lot of holding tanks so what Walter Freeman tried to do was go from institution to institution doing these lobotomies and the people were able to leave the institution unfortunately they weren't so high functioning once they had the surgery so they needed a lot of support but a lot of their behavioral issues disappeared and so one of the things that we are are happy that freeman did was he opened up this idea that we could assist people in the treatment centers now once medications came along there was no longer a need for this type of evasive surgery, and Freeman continued to do his lobotomies until the mid-60s. Unfortunately, in the 60s, he had a kid in the Santa Barbara area that he did the surgery on who did not make it through the surgery, and that was the last surgery that he did. So he's kind of known for doing all of these kind of wacky lobotomies and, and maybe hurting people more than helping people, But the reality was that prior to his engagement in the mental health field, there really was nothing, and these people were living in deplorable situations in the mental health, and it's so hard to call them mental health institutions. I think maybe lunatic asylums was was a better term because they were so low quality. So if Freeman did anything, he was able to get people out of those horrible situations. So what do, you know, I mean, they would even do things like exorcisms and attempts to, to uh, uh, rid kids or adults of, of mental health problems. And we would want somebody to have a spiritual connection, but we don't want them to think that there are, you know, demons and that there is a need to evict demons. When, in fact, it's really neurotransmitters and and, and neurology that's causing the challenges. So what do more modern treatments look like? Well, we have physical activity. It's very good to improve your mental health. Activity therapies, such as crafts, occupational therapy, um, expressive therapies, which might be like music therapy or art therapies, dance therapies, music therapies, movement therapies things that allow the person in an effective way to express themselves. Psychotherapy is often used. Everything from sit-down psychoanalysis to cognitive behavioral therapy to group therapy sessions. Meditation and the, pra- pra- excuse me, the practice of mindfulness meditation has several mental health benefits such as bringing about reductions in depression, anxiety and stress. Mindfulness meditation may also be effective in treating substance abuse disorders. Further, mindfulness meditation appears to bring about favorable structural changes in the brain. The Heartfulness Meditation program has proven to show significant improvements in the state of mind and in the health situation. And there are several books out there on on mindfulness, and I, I really enjoy one book by a person by the name of Andy. Puddycomb, P U D D I C O M B E, Puddycomb, Andy Puddycomb. The book is called The Headspace Guide to Meditation and Mindfulness How Mindfulness Can Change Your Life in 10 Minutes a Day. And it's a good way to start children and young adults or adults in this idea of meditation. Because meditation is not easy, meditation is difficult. You often, it's hard to stay concentrated on one thing. And to keep your mind uh, open to uh, more of a relaxed state, especially when you're feeling tense. Um, Spiritual counseling is very important. Spiritual counselors meet with people in need to offer comfort and support and to help them gain a better understanding of their issues and develop problem-solving relations with spirituality. These types of counselors deliver care based on on spiritual, psychological, and theological principles. So a person may be more uh, comfortable working with their pastor or their rabbi uh, or their religious counselor than another type of counselor because the religious counselor might bring in the dogma or the spiritualization of their religion. So what do we do? What are our roles as professionals? Well, there's counselors, there's school social workers. Their social workers, their school psychologists, to name a few service providers, play many roles in mental health strategies, including those of case manager, advocate, administrator, and therapist. The major functions of psychiatric workers are the promotion and prevention and treatment and rehabilitation of individuals with mental health issues, counseling and psychotherapy, case management, crisis intervention, psychoeducation, which is looking at The person's educational needs and how they have developed certain skills that can help them or certain skills that they don't have may hinder their abilities. Psychiatric rehabilitation and recovery. Care coordination and monitoring is so important and social workers and school psychologists and other counselors can help with these kind of things. Program management, program policy and and development, research and evaluation into the things that really do work. Because we spend a lot of time talking about different therapies that may or may not work, but what are the, the what, which, show, which show efficacy, which show that there is progress that's been made? So at this point, I would like to bring on our guest, Dr. Olvera, and speak a bit about mental health in schools. Dr. Olvera is an associate professor of school psychology at the School Psychology Program at Brandman University. He is a published writer and teaches coursework in the area of assessments of English language learners, cognitive assessment, and enhancing collaboration with culturally and linguistically diverse families. He is also in private practice and is frequently called upon to offer his expertise in matters related to the assessment of English language learners. He is the current president of the California Association of School Psychologists. And we're really, really happy to have him on board today. So, Dr. Oliveira, good morning.
3: Good morning, uh, Dr. Sean. Thank you so much for this uh, opportunity to talk to your listeners about the area that I'm just so very passionate about. So, this is definitely a great honor. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we're very happy to have you on. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what your current work is and what your interests are. I've known you for several years. We've worked together in state associations and also in our affiliates, our local affiliates for school psychologists. We have kind of opened up our businesses at the same time, and so we've been developing as professionals kind of simultaneously. I'd like to hear about what your current work is and what your current interests are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You mentioned it a
3: little bit in the intro, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. I'd like to say that uh, my passions and my current work lie primarily in working in low-income areas, uh, particularly communities that have uh, minimal access to, minimal or actually no access to mental health supports um, or mental health care. Um, I see primarily uh, the school system, which is, you know, obviously where my background is. I see the school system as a ground zero for this type of uh, family or student that um, that doesn't that many that lack the services, uh, mental health services, or access. So I yes. see uh, the school psychologist as uh, that person that could fill that gap.
1: Right, they're the first person that's going to uh-huh. see kids in a preschool program, in a kindergarten. They're going to work exactly. alongside. They're going to see that kid six hours a day, a big portion of their life. They're the ones that can step in and at least notice that there's something up and that there's something going on to help. And in our low income exactly. areas, we have less resources, not just low income, but also rural whether it's low income or rural areas where there's a lack of support, we have to build those supports internally within the school settings. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, and that's something
3: mm-hmm. I tell our students, my students, you mentioned I'm a professor at Bradman, and uh, yeah, you know, I tell my students, you know what, once you get in the field, your kids are going to have medical insurance and access to good care simply because of your job and also because of your background and knowledge of the field. But that's not true for everybody. We have kids and families that have zero access. Uh, Whether it's because lack of insurance, uh, uh, you know, socioeconomic matters, or like you mentioned, lack of access geographically because they live in an area where there are not mental health support or services, where they may have to drive an hour, hour and a half away to access a psychologist who can give them therapy. So I really see the school system, and that's really where my passion lies—in the school system, making that, uh, creating that infrastructure, and being able to provide the supports for those families and students at the school level.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh,
3: school psychologists it's, have the training and the the expertise to provide that.
1: It's interesting because you you speak of access, and currently the House of Representatives is in session, literally as we speak. Discussing a, a new tax break, but what are the pro, what are the issues within the tax uh, cuts? Is also looking at health insurance and changing the health insurance around. And even with Obamacare, you may have had quote unquote access to health medical treatment, mental health treatment, but your costs were so high that you might not be able to actually afford to go. Like I have access to buy a thirty million dollar house. I just don't have thirty million dollars to go buy that thirty million dollar house. Okay. So I can go I can have access to something, but not be able to actually approach it or not be able to actually utilize it. And that's where even though we have these outside services that might come into play, uh, it's the school psychologist or the uh, school social worker or the internal people, that are going to have to build a program because a lot of people can't afford to get to the, the the appropriate treatments, or like you said, they're too far away to get to somebody. So, so you work with your students at Brandman to teach them how to create programs within their own school settings. Exactly. Yeah, we're looking at you know, really instilling in these students.
3: I would say on a philosophical level, um, a compassion for individuals that have uh, mental health uh, illness or, or are struggling just with day-to-day things in life, right? right. But also uh, um, a heart to create these systems within their schools that would uh, provide counseling, not, whether it's group counseling, individual counseling, but also homeschool collaboration to involve the parents as well. Yes, you know that you can have a great system in the school environment, but if they're going back to a home where maybe the parents don't have the tools or the knowledge to provide uh, supports, uh, you know that as as you know the journey is a lot harder in in recovery. So we want to mm-hmm. uh, create these home school systems that could create this, uh, this 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 support for for students that have mental illness.
1: what one I mean, of the, the things. The statistics- Let me just quickly say one of the things that I've talked about on the show over the last couple weeks is this concept of what is called the identified patient, that the kid displays externalizing behaviors of one way or one sort of another, and because of that, the… The child becomes the one that goes to therapy, is put on medication, goes to treatment, while the rest of the people around them, the family, the care providers, the siblings, or whoever else they're interacting with, doesn't. And because of that, that child gets focused on as the treatment. However, one of the things that we've learned, and I've talked even in the past about what what a meta analysis is looking at many studies to come up with a a effective intervention and unfortunately school counseling commonly shows a negative effect size meaning that it makes it kinda worse because only certain things are identified only certain parts of the problem are identified the one kid the whatever he brings to the table well he might be five years old and acting out, five or six. How much could he actually comprehend about his own problem? And secondly, did he pop out of the womb with these issues or were they environmentally dependent? And if they were environmentally dependent, meaning that they have everything to do with the parents, why are they not involved in the counseling also? So when we do school counseling, at times it can be very limited because parents aren't involved. I don't know what you think about that. I think you're right on, and I
3: think it takes us back to uh, the work of Brothenbrenner and the ecosystem, right, and looking at the environment as well, that, Mm -hmm. you know, where a school is a piece of it, but you also have the community. You have, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about the religious aspects of it, and you look at, uh, the community the, that they live in and they grow up in, so the kid is a lot more complex than what we just see at the school so yes I, I agree with you Dr. Sean that we got to look at the big picture
1: right and, and when we don't school yeah and I'm sorry when we don't we end up losing out on a lot believe it or not we're at a, a break time and we'll be back just in a couple of minutes with Dr. Oliveira to discuss more about counseling and treatment of kids in schools
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to surface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Well, welcome back listeners. We've been talking to Dr. Pedro Rivera about mental health issues and school psychology and helping kids in schools. So uh, Dr. Pedro, we were talking about uh, how you instill in your students a way of creating treatment plans and treatment interventions within school settings. Where do you see the school psych field going in the future with mental health? Okay, would you say where
3: would I like
1: to see it going? or Yeah, no, no, both. First, I'd like to know both. where would you like to see it going? Because it's so hard to know like where to things, things are going it. to go right now with our education secretary who knows very little about special education and <laughs> our programs being based on monetary issues rather than on philosophical or, or research oriented. So, wh- where would you like to see the field going? Who would like to see it? I'd, I like to see, uh, when I think of uh, mental health, school psychology,
3: and, and um, where I like to see it, I like to see a collaborative, more of a collaboration between um, community-based mental health and uh, school-based mental health uh, systems and professionals. Mm-hmm. I feel that Tell right now we're that. at a point where there's a, a great divide between the two.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they're working against each other, not for each other. Because they're in competition, almost like there's a competition between the
3: two. I also use a term, a little turf battle going on between Uh uh, school-based and community-based mental health professionals. Yeah. I really think that we have to ramp up our collaboration because we both bring something to the table. We both come from different standpoints and and, uh, training, and I think... uh, The collaboration would really enhance and benefit students, you know, in particular those students that we talked about earlier that are coming from uh, minimal to no access to these mental health supports.
1: How do we do that? How do we begin to bring community and because the school, it's funny, the school is part of the community too. So you've got two community entities kind of butting heads. How do you, uh, what could be one way to, to start to resolve that issue? you
3: know i think that there are efforts going on right now at the state level where there are interdisciplinary um uh committees that are meeting to to iron these things out uh mm-hmm. for example looking at how what is the role of a school psychologist right and what do we do what is our specialization what what can a a, a, men, a, a marriage and family therapist bring to the table or a licensed clinical social worker and kind of start looking at what are our strengths and what do we do well and what is the areas that we each lack in so that we can have a good collaboration going on. Because as you, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, I mean, school counseling is just a, bit, a piece of it. It's not the whole picture. And that's where these uh, support uh, providers come in and fill in those gaps for us. What would be um, nice, you know, I, I remember. About, oh,
1: no, I'm sorry. Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: You think a lot about... Yeah, I think a lot about uh, a couple years ago, there was a big case uh, that came out of Compton where the issue became, you know, students that were exposed to community-based violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, these same students were going to schools and they were uh, carrying some of this trauma from the community into the school. And a lot of them were having significant academic issues. and, and, And the core of this case became, who's responsible for treating these kids? Mm -hmm. Is it the school-based professionals or is it the community? Because it was in the community where they were being exposed to all this violence. Sure.
1: What would be so strong of an effort would be to see the schools starting to welcome in outside therapists and outside agencies rather than concern themselves or worry. Come up with new funding sources so that they don't seem like they're a drain on the school funding system but rather a support allow insurances to be the primary uh, 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 provider of the funds and not to seek funding towards a secondary uh, funding source such as a school school district's uh, uh, budget. The the main reason why I believe there seems to be this uh, uh, turf war is about money. Who's going to get the money, who's going to pay for it, rather than what is the best methodology of approaching this kid's problem? We don't look at that. We look at what is the best way to resolve this monetarily. And that often is not going to uh, uh, resolve the issue, and it's going to push away supports. We so much fear these outside agencies coming into school programs because we feel that, They'll take away funding or they will, I don't know, outdo the, 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 the public professional when really we're all trying to do the same thing. What, um, what, out, what do you think is out there that actually supports school psychologists and what kind of hinders their work? I think
3: one of the major things that uh, is out there supporting school psychologists, there's a couple of things. Number one, there's a greater awareness of mental health.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I think one of the, the big moves that I really appreciate uh, that President Obama did is he included us amongst uh, school psychologists, amongst a list of health care providers. Yes. And that just, I think, added a lot of credibility to our role. Um, also, Absolutely. there's, uh, uh, you know. Well, wait, wait, wait! Before you move that. on
1: from that, wait. Well, before you move on from that, I think you've hit a really big area: is that school psychologists were not always seen as mental health professionals. They were seen more as exactly. testers and people that would help you get your kid into special education programs. And I believe also because the Department of Mental Health was putting all of its funds outside of schools. And into outside community counseling centers, the norm became that the school psychologists would do the assessment and the testing and outside people would do counseling. Now, over the last, what is it, three years, four years, mental health services are what was the Department of Mental Health's responsibility is now the school district's responsibility. So by Obama... Uh, mentioning us or putting us amongst other mental health professionals, it was of the utmost importance because the funding model changed too from a federally exactly. or excuse me, a state funded uh, model to a school district funded model. And uh, I think people are getting used to that too, where they were very used to. Yeah, I think, so yeah, that's to that's me I think uh, with that. I would
3: uh, say, you know, when you add the biggest hindrance, I think, ironically, the biggest hindrance may be us as professionals mm-hmm. really convincing ourselves. A lot of us were trained in the early and nineties to the 2000s, and a lot of us were trained in this test model, but not necessarily in a mental health model. So what I found, and um, um, once that law changed and the funding came to the school districts and the it was now incumbent upon the school districts to provide these mental health services, I think the school psychologists, in many terms, were the hinders because we had to yeah. change our minds from a testing model to now mm-hmm. a mental health model.
1: Well, I couldn't with agree that, with you more. I, I, I really I don't want to make a big issue out of it, but I really couldn't agree with you more. There, so often... I would hear, oh, I don't do counseling, oh, I don't do behavioral therapy, oh, I don't do cognitive work, I don't do – and it's like, what do you mean? We used to be called the California Association of Psychometricians and Psychologists, and then we Mm -hmm. removed the word psychometricians because we wanted to be seen as psychologists, but then unfortunately, we spent all of our time acting as psychometricians, which are testers, you know, and not – People that are diving into the inner world of somebody's mental conflicts. And I think you're exactly right that we as an organization, we as a field had to decide, hey, this is what a psychologist does. I remember uh, my training programs, my doctoral program had zero counseling classes. My master's program actually had a lot of counseling and I actually have a master's in counseling, but had I gone straight for the PhD, I don't know that I would have gotten the counseling methodology required to uh, uh, support kids in schools. So I think it's also about what we as trainers do. I teach also at Cal State LA and you know, what do we do as trainers to promote mental health skills in in our school psychology students? You know? And as a result
3: of that, Doctor Sean, you're seeing a lot of programs now changing mm-hmm. their curriculum to address these very changes. And and I'm seeing, as as I see it, I'm seeing a lot of as it programs are now kind of finding that balance between strictly assessment, which was the model that I was trained under, to a more multidisciplinary model where we're looking at school psychologists as not only testers but also as mental health practitioners. Behavioral specialists, and also uh, working almost a semi-social work world where you're carrying a caseload of individual case managers as well,
1: right? And we so talk we, about the behavior. So I really see work. this.
3: I think this law was always the best thing that could happen to the profession. This change, where we're now changing our roles. You know, we're looking at ourselves as more qualified to do many different things uh, to address, you know, mental health in school systems.
1: Yeah, and the biggest thing is school psychologists have to stop saying, I don't do that, I don't do counseling, I and, and move towards a mentality. And I think most are now, moving towards a mentality of, this is what I do to support students as one aspect, I do my testing and evaluation to make sure that they're in good programs, but I also evaluate their mental health status and put intervention into place there to make sure that those supports, which are so important, are needed. What I'm hoping for is that we then expand it out to the family. My own organization, Total Programs, is currently working on a social skills program called the Peers Program. It's a program that came out of UCLA, and it's a treatment program for social skills for children with autism, or actually teenagers and young adults, but it has a huge mental health component. In regards to how does the person take care of themselves? How do they adapt to the world around them in a way that's going to be a positive thing for themselves? And it doesn't focus on their deficits. It doesn't focus on what they're unable to do or what they what, what they can't do. And it is a more positive psychology approach. Um, where where do you see? What do you think the state? We only have a couple minutes till the close of the show, but what do you? Uh, where do you believe the state needs to go in regards to supporting more mental health? You said that it was a good thing that the law was passed, and I agree with you. Exactly. But what else What else needs to happen?
3: You know, I think what's going on right now, as a state, obviously, I think we could never get enough funding, right? Case right. loads are significantly high for school psychologists right now. It's, it's not unusual for one school psychologist to serve three to 4,000 kids or even more on some occasions, depending on the school district, you're at the community, right? So obviously funding's always going to be an issue to provide more mental health providers. So we're way beyond our quote of what our national organization recommends. But even more so, I think that there's another, another problem that's emerging at the state level is that there's a, in, there's a significant shortage of school psychologists. Yeah, Not so only in California, but as a state, as a country, we're, we'll face it a period where there's a lot of uh, school psychologists are retiring. And the projections are within five years, we're going we're gonna to have a very few practicing in the field. So we're entering a period of shortage as well.
1: We are. And it's interesting because when I first became a school psychologist, we were at an area of shortage because there were a lot of kids that were demonstrating a lot of externalizing behaviors and it was a time when things were changing from using aversive techniques to using more positive techniques in behavioral support. So they needed more and more people to help with behavioral issues. So the school psychology program started opening up and needing more people. Then about 10 years after I graduated, there was an abundance. So we, you know, we are back to that point and and I'm not exactly sure why it is, but we are back to that point of a shortage. And the other thing that we're in a short of is time. Dr. Olvera, I'm so sorry, but we're done for the day. I would love to have you on the show again so we can discuss more issues. Um, You've been great and very informative and I thank you for being on today. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we are about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thank you, Dr. Olvera.
3: Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.